One of the less obvious things about Amazon's early days was that most of the purchases were structured for one-off purchases. You buy something, it goes in a shopping cart, and they deliver it to you, done. Uh, but the transition towards the subscription uh, average or monthly billing uh, was something that you don't really think about, but actually was pretty significant for the company, obviously, uh, as a precursor to Amazon Prime. So uh, I found this podcast event like an owner that actually caught up with the original creators of this service. And here it is. Describe this sort of service, uh, a, a, the different approach to things with a service or an API as compared to a product launch but in, the, in the way we've been talking about them with Amazon. Yeah, so I will have to cover a teeny bit of Amazon history and then ask Yura to correct me, especially on the timeline, because I realize I'm old and I don't remember the exact order everything happened, because as you know, at that period of time, and probably still today at Amazon, a, a lot of things happen at the same time. And now with the size of the company, I think many, you know, infinitely more things happen at the same time. That's one thing Amazon's actually been really good at is doing many things at once and not having them need to be tightly coupled. Yeah. And one place that started was I had to back up a teeny bit uh, and talk about Amazon's move to a services oriented architecture. So when I joined Amazon and with many of the people you're talking about, the Amazon application that ran the website was a single monolithic application. And eventually we couldn't build or deploy that software any longer. And so we decided to embark on a major project to break apart Amazon's monolith into services. And right. that project was called Garupa. The previous application had been called Obidos. And Garupa became a launch requirement for Target.com. So we built a services-based offering for that. And that was a key input to what happened later with notions of the PR and fact methodology. So that had also just recently started working backwards, right. you know, formalizing an API documentation for your service, a press release, and an FAQ. And the third stream I would add into that is agile development. So around this time, in I think 2001 or so, the Gang of Four released the Agile Manifesto. So a famous document that pretty much laid out what became agile development. Yeah. And I was a big fan of that. I started to institute that in the teams that I ran. So I ran a bunch of teams. So all of that came together when we were building this. So when we needed a subscription billing service or when we needed to do subscription billing, rather than try and just add it to existing payment or ordering systems using this new model, we decided to build it as a service. Right. And this would have been in 2004 leading up to the launch of DVD Rental. And I had a team that worked on this. Brian Saltzman was a technical program manager that worked for me. There was a team of both young and older developers, including Pierre Galen and Vijay Chembrakar. And because of Amazon's willingness to have, you know, like product teams were technical and non-technical folks together, Yurit actually wound up working for me, a technical guy who has trouble reading a business plan. And you're it, a business guy who would have trouble reading back then, I think a technical requirements document. And at least in my mind, one of my first meetings with you around launching subscriptions in particular. And one reason I wanted to talk about this is talking to him about agile development. 
Because the biggest difference, one of the big differences is you go away from date-driven development. Yep. And what Amazon was very focused on for a long time, as were most companies, is we're going to pick a date sometime in the future, and we're going to line up everyone to launch on that date. We had war teams. This was mentioned last week. We marched to the same beat. It was very concrete, Gantt chart-based, you know, dependency-based planning, right. very waterfall-like. And I wanted us to move to agile development, actually using Scrum. Brian learned about being a Scrum master. And at least in my mind, I remember talking to Jorrit about, don't worry, there's no date. You're not going to have any dates, but we're going to ship stuff every two weeks. So on average, you only have to wait seven days to see something. Right. And I tell this story over and over because I work with lots of great growth companies today. So I use, it's one reason I wanted to discuss it here is that I said, you know, one of the geniuses is when you have people who realize that and say, okay, I get it and I'm going to make it work. And in my recollection, you're initially freaked out a little bit, but disagreed and committed. And we actually built a very good service in a very short amount of time. But so that's my recollection is that uh, I pushed agile development on because Europe was managing the development team, not me directly. Yep. Uh, and so but I sort of imposed this process. And he was able to actually understand it and make it work. So that's the story I tell. So you are, we can hear the, which parts the of that truth. is true. Cause I have my own comments on scrum, but yeah, let's hear it. I think that's generally correct. And as Neil, uh, often does, and I appreciate it in this case, uh, he, he's probably giving me a lot more credit than I deserve in this one. Um, but we did run, um, this, this program exactly the way that Neil described it. And, um, and as he said, initially I was kind of like, okay, this, this doesn't work because I, you know, I need a date so that I can back up all the kind of other business, right. you know, the, you know, the, the important things, um, you know, which, which ultimately ended up just not being that important. And it all kind of gave us time to kind of work things out. Um, and it allowed us to kind of adaptively move through the process. And so like, you know, as you're inventing and building, like you're learning so much as it goes through, you know, not having kind of a rigid timeline and a rigid structure allows you to be way yeah. more adaptive. And I found us doing that quite a bit. So how we set up the database, what the calls were like, you know, I still remember some really funny conversations about the get commands in our database, which, you know, yeah. at first I was like, okay, what the hell is a get command? Um, it's pretty intuitive after you kind of get it for a second, but like, the fact that we were going to talk about the business model and for 45 minutes with Jeff, we talked about what our get commands were and what our database tables looked like, um, you know, was all testament to the kind of the process that we had where we just had, you know, business and tech and everybody uh, working yeah, I together. Ask about, this is one of my, uh, figuring out well, as we Dave, I just want to, cause I want to hear your recollection of this. So we have not talked about this since then. And I tell a story about this. So I've actually been curious, like, hey, what does Yorit remember about this? One of my favorite parts of this process, this was early in the PR, FAC, API documentation presentation. So when we were building the subscription service, I'm pretty sure it was subscription and not the DVD rental queue. At least in my head, it was building subscriptions. The tech lead, we wrote an API documentation and a FAC, and we reviewed that with Jeff. And I have a memory of we had this meeting and either Yorit or I said, we should invite the rest of the team that works on one. Jeff always liked the person who was there and doing the stuff to be in the room anyway. So we invited several folks, including Brian Saltzman, the TPM, Rob Owen, 
who was one of the engineers on the team. VJ Chembrakar might have been in there, probably, and Pierre Galen, also other engineers on the team. And it was not a very good document, which is my fault, not yours, I would say, as the CTO of our little company, but that's really how we got to run it. And let's just say Jeff was not pleased. I'm, that's probably the first time that you had heard the, you know, actually critique of the API. This was just reviewing developers documentation and an API manual. And it was horrific. And the developers <laughs> were freaked out because most of them had never been in a meeting with Jeff before. It was like, oh, I don't ever want to do that again. However, we chatted with Jeff because, you know, it was, we were used to that and I was happy to get the feedback. And he realized that, you know, this was a first version and we had another meeting with it when we made the document better with the team. And he was incredible as he always was in those kind of meetings when he knew and had been oriented correctly. But, you know, uh, it was the first time that I, after the Garupa launch that we presented an API to Jeff, but that's a meeting that I vividly remember <laughs> and I often retell the story about. So I don't know what you remember about that, Yored, but. Well, it's, it's funny because I remember exactly what room we were in <laughs> and where everybody was yeah. sitting in that meeting. That's the kind of impression it made upon me. Um, and there were, there were two things. Um, one is, uh, you know, I thought we were building a DVD rental business, um, but it became really clear that what we were building was a subscription billing platform. Um, you know, maybe not first and foremost, but like in Jeff's mind, kind of first and foremost. And I was initially super confused by the detailed questions he was asking about, the, like I said, the database structure the tables in the database, the get commands, the APIs. And it was only like after much reflection later that I realized that his vision for what this subscription billing system was actually going to power in the future was far, far, far more substantial than right. a DVD rental business. So, um, you know, that's kind of what I took out of that. But like, that meeting was super eye-opening to me, kind of for those for those same reasons about like, what's important to who uh, and knowing what was really important to Jeff was obviously a, a good, as we say, yeah, teaching or learning a moment. Teaching moment. Yeah. <laughs> Having gotten, you know, direct feedback prior to this, I was fine with it. And, and we, and actually it made it a much better product, but I think this is a very early example yeah. of both Amazon building a truly decoupled working backwards services model. And that's one reason I think it's really uh, you know, a valuable lesson because this was very early in that journey. There were, I don't know what, if any other services were available that had not been immediately descended from the original website. This is definitely one of, if not the earliest yeah, such example and built using modern agile development. Yeah. I just, I remember that that same time, but in a different orbit of Amazon, because I was working with Andy on the, uh, the first Amazon web services. And I remember those meetings with Jeff where we're talking through S3 or EC2 or payments, and some of those didn't go well. <laughs> you know, or Al Vermeulen, who was an Amazon CTO, I think was his title, like they'd have to go rewrite S3 because, it, you know, Jeff would get into such level of detail because he was thinking 10, 15 years out, I think, you know, the, the way like or how redundant it had to be was beyond what an engineer might think is reasonable for a V1 
Anyway, it, I, he's just good at finding your mistakes. Yeah, as yeah. good leaders are, then that's yeah. what you want. So right? that's that's you want so, someone who can dig deep. So before I, I wanted to ask some more about subscription, but just for listeners who might not know what we're talking about, what are some of the key features? Like it's just like monthly billing, you know, like things that make get complicated really quickly um, that you that most people don't think about, like refunds, promotions. Like is that the type of stuff that was in V one? If you think about, I understand there were a lot of Scrum or at a lot of agile launches, but when you thought about the the product that needed to be ready for magazines and DVD rentals, what were some of the key features that needed to be in there? I'll, I'll start with a couple. I mean, mon- monthly billing was a, was a big one, which seems so basic right now, but like back in the day, like we stored credit cards, but we you know did it for transactional purposes, not on a regular basis. That was a really big one. Um, just building a queue, that kind of had to be managed and, and operated, building the, um, the all of the algorithms around how you allocate your precious supply was, was an important one. Um, and then there were a ton, and Neil touched on them earlier on the operations side, you know, where Amazon was, you know, world-class at shipping stuff to customers and far less than world class or, you know, far less energy on receiving stuff back from customers. Yeah. But we had a continual revolving door through the, the fulfillment centers in the UK. And so how you set that up, how you manage that and how you operationalize that. Like those are some of the things that we were, you know, were completely new to right. us and that we um, that we had to kind of invent our way around. Yeah. And simply building reliable recurring billing at scale and avoiding fraud in that scenario is challenging, right? We were, even though we were launching in a smaller geography than the US, it's a pretty big geography and we were pretty well established by that point in the UK. We expected it and it was a pretty good sized business. Right. So, and we didn't have any systems that did that. Let's, you know, let's not forget. And if we talk, if you ever talk about digital purchasing, this will come up again and the creation of another foundational service that still runs at Amazon today uh, called the Digital Order and Charge Service. We had to have a physical shipping address. But when you're doing the subscription billing, you're not billing against the shipping address because that's separate from the fulfillment, right? Right. You're billing us for a service, not for that uh, fulfillment. And so we had to build completely different processes than had been used. And then because we were fulfilling a physical good out of our warehouses, those warehouses had to have methods that they could call right. that would let them know that this was a subscriber in good standing. And yes, I can send them this DVD. Right. And we were building this as a service and it wasn't the service that was already in use. Right. So we did have to work in a loosely coupled fashion with other teams that we did not control and still get it delivered on time. So just building an actual user-facing, restful set of web services to support subscription billing at scale, non-trivial at the time. Yeah. And obviously in the intervening years, there have been quite a few businesses that have grown quite successful and are very large companies now that just have done that. Yeah. And so you launched, you launched DVD rentals and the service yep. was launched. When did you find out of SMS yeah, when, is running? When yep. did you find out about prime and tell that story? Because I'm a little bit confused about I we have some notes there that says subscription service was genericized a little later. And so I, I'm I'm assuming it wasn't totally standalone, or maybe it just needed a different functionality for Prime. 
Uh, I don't think it needed anything different. There was some work we did. Uh, I'd have to look back at the project documents. So here's my recollection of the timeline, and Yorit hopefully will have others sometime around holiday 2004, early 2005, somewhere in that end of the 2004 year. I feel like there had been an idea in the idea tool. So Amazon had super saver shipping where you could right. wait till you had an economic shipping quantity and then we deliver. And somebody put in the idea tool, maybe Charlie Ward, if I remember, but somebody right. put in the idea tool. Why don't we have a club for shipping? Which would, because we knew customers don't like pay. I mean, none of us, we like, we don't like to pay shipping. So that was, that was, I think how, the idea for Prime came up, but there was an idea for Prime. And at some meeting, you know, people were saying, yeah, and by the way, in order to do Prime, so the hard parts of Prime are all of the fulfillment and promises and all of that, right? Yeah. Figuring out what products are primable. That's the hard stuff. Yeah. The easy stuff would be, would have been, we're also going to charge people an annual fee for this and it's going to be 79 bucks. Can we do that? Well, you can't do that through the order pipeline because it's not that kind of purchase. Yeah. So there was some meeting where they were talking about, well, we need recurring billing and we could put our hand up and say, hey, we we have recurring billing over here. And so we used the, the subscription management service. I'm sure Yorit's team did some modifications. There were probably some requirements, although for a single annual billing of 79 bucks, you know, we probably had to add another program, but that concept was already in the subscription management service from the get-go. Right. Because it was it was not built for DVD rental. It was a separate initiative anyway. Uh, so my recollection is one of the small, I will admit, one of the small reasons, though, that moved an obstacle out of the way to launching Prime on the aggressive timeline that we wanted was that we actually had a working, loosely coupled, API-driven uh, recurring billing service that was already running and handling millions of transactions a day. Basically, Prime launched out of the gate with a $79, and it doesn't matter that we don't have the extra, like what new got added to it, but basically it was pretty well equipped to, uh, you know, because you had built it the right way uh, to handle Prime and later was used for other things, right? Like digital music and, uh, or digital music subscriptions and, and things like that. My suspicion is it's used for all other subscriptions. I wouldn't be surprised if some version of it is running today. Yeah. But I don't know for sure, obviously. Yeah, that's all. And that was, you know, that was a lot of the conversations that, you know, certainly I had with Jeff on the business side as we were building it was, you know, the ideas of all the other services that you and businesses that you just talked about, Dave, uh, running on this subscription billing platform, magazines. Uh, right you know, what have you. So we, we definitely built it with the ability to service many different products and many different timelines and many different configurations um, in the structure that That's we awesome. talking about. So we have about 10 minutes. I want to, uh, at the end, I want to actually get a quick update on what you're both doing because it's sort of, it's very tied to Amazon in, in your case, but uh, Neil's been working with Summit for a while. I want to hear, and I think people would like to hear that. So what I, what I ask at the end of every episode is just like two, two-parter, like, and mainly here for DVD rentals and, and then the subscription service, subscription management service. Like, A, what would you have done differently, if anything? Um, and then B, what do you think the sort of walk away 
lessons are for entrepreneurs or people, you know, innovators working inside big companies um, from these businesses or these services? Well, Neil, I'll jump in really quick and I'll start because I, I still have yeah. one that keeps me up at night. Um, um, and that is I, I probably would have done a different pricing program. We wrestled with the pricing program um, ad nauseum and kind of the the P&L and, and Netflix had a beautiful um, pricing program because they called it unlimited, you know, and mm-hmm. and it, it was unlimited to a certain degree. But there were some physical constraints of just like the amount of time it takes to ship things back and forth that it wasn't really unlimited, but it's such a great word right. to use. Um, and the problem was. You know, the more you use Netflix, the more you kind of got degraded in terms of getting the stuff you really wanted. And the more you used it, the the kind of the less they liked you because um, you became a less and less profitable customer. And I just I really struggled with that concept being a kind of customer first company when, in fact, most people wouldn't ever use more than four. And so we came up with a pricing plan that was kind of tailored to like what we thought people would actually use. And, um, and uh, the trade-off was that you couldn't use the word unlimited. And, yeah. um, and I think that if I were to do it again, I, I, I would probably, I was very committed to this. We had long debates, but I, I'd probably do that differently. Um, and then to the second point, um, you know, and I kind of make this comment all the time as I talk within Amazon, like, the DVD rental program just proves that you can start a business inside Amazon. Like it's, it's kind of the world's biggest startup incubator, really. I mean, the thing that we didn't have to do was go out and raise money because we, you know, right. we just had to convince Jeff and the S team that it was a good business to do. Um, and, you know, I blame it for, you know, me leaving Amazon and going to an actual startup because I was like, you know, that was so much damn fun. Um, I got I have to go do it without kind of the training wheels. But, you know, even as I'm at Amazon today back again, there's a ton of businesses that we're still starting with very entrepreneurial feeling people. And um, and so like, you can do it um, within a big company. That's definitely. Well, you can do it within you can do it within a few big companies. Like, you know, I describe I, I describe Amazon to a lot of people as, as the world's biggest venture capital firm or incubator, whatever, you you know. But that's because Jeff. Maybe from the D.E. Shaw approach to, to identifying businesses and investing them and launching them, like it just it, it's. I think it needs the right CEO, or it's, it yeah. obviously needs the right CEO and board and investor uh, commitment to do it. But yeah, it, it's a pretty amazing place that your your fundraising process is actually <laughs> internal, you know, and and uh, getting S team buy off as part of OP one and that sort of stuff. But a lot of the other stuff is, again, like, you know, the frugality and the startup, you know, kind of forces that a lot of the same startup feel like I almost feel like sure. at Amazon, you know, it was even more startupy at, at a lot of times than it was at Zillow uh, when I started there. And there were only six of us. Um, and so um, and I should you're, you're totally right. I should say only what I know. Um, it feels very startupy at Amazon. That's what I know. Um, so I shouldn't genericize it. But those are those are my I, comments, Neil. I've never heard that anybody talk like I never heard that before. The frugality principle, which Amazon has overall, is actually really well adapted to a startup. You know, build things, uh, build MVPs, and you know, find out and then iterate. Greg Linden, early Amazon engineer, made that point multiple times. Is like what we were good at was getting things out the door in eight weeks, 
and then finding out if it worked. And if it did, then we improved upon it. And if it didn't, we killed it or pivoted. So um, I I, I like that. I totally believe that. Yeah, I will amplify pretty much all of what you had said on the things, especially on the DVD rental business, I completely agree with. And we spent a lot of time. We all agreed. I think the business thinking was correct at the time about what the right customer offer was. And I just don't think we got it right. Right. I think we built a good product that we were happy with in terms of the way it performed. We actually built an amazing team of people who have gone on to do great things either at Amazon and elsewhere. But I don't think we uh, got the right pricing and value proposition to our customers, partly because we were hamstrung by this notion, you know, like some other businesses have that we thought we don't, we want to make sure we love our best customers, that we always like the ones using it the most. And we didn't, we probably did not understand the full psychology of yeah. how that worked. And what I learned is a lot of what uh, Yora talked about. I, I would point out that, so I learned a, a bunch of things there. One, loose coupling works, right? And we had talked about it, but it, you know, in the early days of Amazon where your team is small, you can't loosely couple because you're all in one glob anyway. Yeah. And Amazon was the first place that I got to experience that at scale. And we did that. I mean, one of the reasons, right? Not a lot of people know the story of DVD rental. And one reason I wanted to talk about it is, that was a reasonable sized business for Amazon at the time. People don't talk about it. We ran it. It really was like our own company. Luckily, we had a really smart advisor who could comment on our model and our APIs as well as the business plan. Yeah. But otherwise, we pretty much ran the whole thing. Like this was our show, you know, with the, I ran a bunch of other engineering teams working on other things as well. Yorit ran this business and development. Also, that separating product or business and technology is does not have to be done you know right. i work with lots of companies today it's still the model is there's business and there's development and amazon did a great job of being able to break that down and that was very successful right this notion of building services and the pr fact method and then last that agile development work. So, you know, having come through a few years at Amazon where I worked a few hours and we had top-down planning with definite launch dates, march to a war team, you know, a battle kind of metaphor, I actually started to think as I was reading what other people were doing that it was time to think differently about developing and releasing software. Yeah. And it taught me a lot about how to do that that I still use today. And I believe it's a better way to build and ship reliable software that's customer centric. Yeah, I agree. The the thing I loved about Agile Scrum when sort of came to came was introduced to it was just that it re, it it reduced the distraction for new features you wanted to get added or reprioritizing things because you always had a chance to do that at the next uh, for the next sprint. You know, it's, it wasn't you had to pick everything and fight for it over a four month launch. It, it allowed you to learn as you go, and and you know a lot of times those things that feel really urgent on a Monday by Thursday, you know you're not as jazzed about it. It's not as you know, so you don't disrupt the process because everybody's sure. making their commitment on what they're going to build when it's going to be done. You get, get much more reliable. Yeah. So I and the I, other thing is, look, if you rely on heroic effort all of the time, yeah, eventually 
you kill all your heroes, <laughs> you know? So yeah. you can't do that. You know, now I think there are times when you still have to do that Yeah. And, and, and in a growth company, but you cannot expect that to be the default mode of operation. And I think build a long-term great company. And I give Amazon a lot of credit for helping me learn that and for doing that in many places throughout the company as it continued to grow. I love it. Something I definitely appreciate about uh, this conversation was how much they appreciate Agile, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a dirty word these days. But I think, uh, obviously, there are good and bad applications of that. Um, the move towards a loosely coupled service-oriented architecture is well-documented. Uh, but for me, personally, I just think how amazing of an advantage it is for Amazon to be first in e-commerce and therefore be the first to run into all these issues and therefore be the first to solve all these issues and therefore build a comp sustainable competitive advantage because they've just done it before anyone else at, at a bigger scale than anyone else. Uh, and obviously saw the tea leaves for uh, a lot of subscription building uh, stuff that we have today, but 20 years ahead of everyone else, uh, which is really, really, really cool. Um, what else? Um, when you run a company, create space for internal entrepreneurship. I think that is uh, evident in this story where essentially they were the general managers of their own business. Um, they don't see the upside that they might have from running a startup, but they had uh, infinity funding from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> 